The show is starting right now. Really? <laughs> right now. All right, welcome to episode 55 of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. Today, I've got another new Iron Maiden story for you, going to be installment 17. You're going to hear what may be a familiar voice giving his own Iron Maiden story, and I think that you will enjoy it. There's a lot of interesting tales going on here, <laughs> some, some uh, funny tales as well. Now, the next few weeks coming up are going to be different. We're not going to be having any Iron Maiden stories, at least for the next couple of weeks. Um, I've got some one absolutely new series that's going to be starting, and you're going to really like it. I, I know I'm going to love it. I already did love the first one, but it's you know, you got to wait a week to hear it. So anyways, outside of that, I hope that you are doing well and... Also, I'm sure you're probably still waiting for me to do some of the things I said I was going to do on my end of the year episode, and you'll have to keep waiting. I'm still a slow, slow process because I work a lot and my weekends are busy and it's just, you know, you know, go ahead and cue up the world's smallest violin to play me a song there. So anyway, I hope that you enjoy what you are about to hear. Yes, Mr. Lawless is correct. It is time to let you know who participated. So this week, this last week, I had two episodes that came out. The first episode that came out was Iron Maiden Stories Installment 16. And those that retweeted it on Twitter are, well, Andrew Whitnall, who lives near Melbourne, Australia, Dean Longnecker, Longenecker in Columbia, South Carolina, the Liverpool Scousers, Don McIntyre and Stephanie Jane Gray, Hedard Ferron in Montreal, Canada, and the Sassanak in Falkirk, UK, my buddy Andy. Also, thank you to the Liverpool Scousers for sharing it on Facebook as well. The second episode came out on Friday. It was called The Softer Side of Judas Priest. 
you need a little introduction to Judas Priest that may be a little uh, more friendly to hear for your ears, maybe not quite as heavy, which it just depends on what you think. I, I it, None of it's too heavy for me. But um, if you need to get in, if you want to try to get in, if you want to hear it and see what you think, the softer side of Judas Priest. Uh, it was shared on Facebook by Stephanie Jane Gray from Liverpool and on Twitter as well by Stephanie Jane Gray and my friend Steve in Oregon. Now, I want to thank you to everyone. I want to thank everyone who shared, everyone who shared. I do appreciate it. I always appreciate it. Now it is time to get on with the program. Welcome to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone, another episode of Iron Maiden Stories. And today I have a podcaster with me. He goes by the name Fergal Trainer or Trainer. So, Mr. Trainer, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're taking the time. I appreciate you taking the time because I know all of our, well, I guess with the uh, state of the world, we all have a lot more time than we used to, so. Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of finished work now, even though I'm technically in work today and tomorrow, but I'm kind of finished work now until the new year. So uh, I have all the time in the world, you might say. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. All right. Well, we'll get started. Actually, I'll let me, um, there's probably some people that are listening to me that don't know who you are, don't know of your podcast. So if you don't mind, uh, would you uh, tell a little bit about yourself, maybe talk about your podcast a little bit, just kind of give a brief synopsis. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I have a podcast called The Feckin' Check-In with my friend Toomey. And The Feckin' Check-In is a weekly podcast where we talk about four different topics each week. Uh, just kind of a check-in between two friends. But we use the word feck, F-E-C-K. That's a polite way of saying the F word in Ireland. Uh, so <laughs> it's slang, but it's it's not a swear word, really. So F yeah. is for funny observations, E is for entertainment, C is for culture, and K is for kernels of truth. And it's kind of a we tried to keep it lighthearted every week so we started out with that a while back maybe a year ago and then we branched out separately into our own podcasts it's all under the same feed um so i have feckin metal which is a heavy metal podcast where most weeks i interview somebody from a metal band and my friend toomey has one called feckin football which is about football um, so i have no interest <laughs> in football and he's no interest in metal so we kind of went uh, <laughs> on our separate ways but it's all under the feckin check-in podcast network so it's the same place for everything for now at least Okay, okay. We won't we won't give any spoilers out right now, so yes. So let's uh so I have you here because your favorite band is Iron Maiden. And we're going to <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to dig deep into Iron Maiden here and um you have a lot of interesting stories that I want you to tell here that you've uh, mentioned to me. So first off, you started uh listening to Iron Maiden uh 
almost 20 years ago, but before you got into Iron Maiden, I don't know how old, well, I do know how old you are, so I know about what age you were. So before you got into Iron Maiden, uh, what kind of music were you into? Yeah, just for full disclosure, I'm 35. I've no problem revealing my age. Uh, so <laughs> recently turned 35, I was born in 1985. Um, I got, so when I was younger, I used to listen to um, pop music, whatever was on the radio. And I was always interested in music to some degree. And then when I, I, I can remember, like I used to watch MTV, there was the MTV European Top 20 countdown every weekend. I always watched that. And then there was a chart show in Ireland called Top 30 Hits, where they played music videos of the top 30 charting hits on the Irish uh, radio station, RTE Radio. Okay. And I used to watch that every week as well. That was appointment viewing. Um, you watched it every weekend. And then when I really started getting into music, I... Well, maybe a bit before that, I, I remember like in Michael Jackson, my brother had Dangerous, uh, the tape. And <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I recorded a copy of that and I think that had the song Heal the World on it because I loved that song. Okay. <laughs> I remember rewinding the tape frantically or fast forwarding. I always trying to find that song and I, it seemed like I could never <laughs> find it, but I loved Heal the World as a child. Um, but then when I was about nine, I got into Oasis. So Oasis were huge in Ireland and in the England, obviously. Um, they're huge in Ireland and the album What's the Story Morning Glory was out and that had the famous songs um, Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger in it so I got oh, quite yeah. into that at the time so it was Oasis for a while and I remember some of the first CDs I, I got um, one of them was Oasis Be Here Now when that was released in I got that in Christmas 97 I also got the, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack I was big into Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and Quentin Tarantino oh, wow. so I remember getting that and that opened me up to lots of different styles of music as well but um, I also remember I think was it you or was it Wayne who was mentioning the Human League recently I can't remember but um, yeah I, Wayne I, did I, I love the Human League I had the best of the Human League on a CD as well and um I gradually got into rock music as I got a bit older my brothers would have liked things like Pink Floyd Led Zeppelin Thin Lizzy Jimi Hendrix um, okay. that type of stuff so now, I was listening you, uh, to a bit of that how, uh, how many siblings do you have? I have three older brothers and two older sisters so I'm the youngest oh wow okay yeah. now so, uh, I so. did uh, Oasis I saw Oasis live once <laughs> way back in the day yeah I had I had a friend that had a I guess he had tickets to go see him and they he did the guy that was going to go with him he just he called me and he was like hey uh I thought he must have, he must have called every person he could think of before he called me, because <laughs> uh, me and him kind of have a, uh, 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 I wouldn't say a love hate relationship, but we just we're we're friends when we're not around each other all the time. So when we're around each other too much, we so he calls me up one day though. He's just like, hey, um, I got an extra ticket to go see Oasis tonight, you know, and I don't know, it was probably you know afternoon already. You want to go? And I'm I was single, so I'm like yeah, I'll go. Mm. Why not? I mean, I don't hate Oasis. Is Be Here Now, is that the album that came out after Morning Glory, or is that before? That was the one after What's the Story, Morning Glory. Yeah, famously has the Cadillac in the swimming pool. It was at the height of their cocaine addiction. They were going oh, through their ultimate rock star phase, and it's it's not generally considered a very good album, but I love it because of biased nostalgia rather than anything else. Yeah, I thought I thought it was decent. I think that album was decent, and, and uh, Morning Glory is a, a really good album, too. Actually, yeah. the first album is good, too, so... Yeah, like what's the story? Morning Glory is one of my favorite albums ever. I'll, I'll never tire of it. But um, yeah, I started to forge my own identity, musical identity, a bit. I remember my brother had a the ACDC Fly on the Wall promo video. I don't know if you remember that, do you? I remember. I I know the words to the song Fly on the Wall. That I I actually like that song. 
back in the day. <laughs> but there was a there was a video cassette VHS released in '85 to coincide with the album, and it had a small little film of ACDC playing five songs in a bar. And there was a little storyline where there was a fly flying around, and it was a ridiculous farcical <laughs> thing. Funny. But, uh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, but um, my brother got a lend of that from somebody in work. He also got a lend of um, Led Zeppelin's uh, The Song Remains the Same. That's the film, isn't it? I think so. And, um, I think so. I remember watching those two, and I was like, ACDC, huh? There's something here. I quite like this. And I bought, I'm, I'm shortening this down because it's very long winded. I, I, I <laughs> bought Let, Let There Be Rock, which I thought was okay initially. I wasn't blown away by it. But then yeah. I bought. Back in Black, and I was completely blown away by that. Just the opening bell, yeah. the opening riff of Hell's Bells. Oh, uh, yeah. You Shook Me All Night Long, all those songs. Um, so I loved that. And then I, at the same time, I was kind of listening to a bit of Nirvana. So I remember buying Nevermind. That was definitely one of the first albums I bought with my actual own money rather than receiving as a present. Um, okay. I think it was £20 uh, back in maybe 2002, which seems like a fortune now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what else? Um yeah, so I kind of started listening to all that, and okay, I can't remember really if Iron Maiden were the first heavy metal band that I listened to, but I was aware of certain songs by certain bands, like I was aware of Paranoid by Black Sabbath, and I was aware of things like Alice Cooper, but Poison, I know you don't like that album you told me off air, <laughs> but uh, I was aware of these songs, and I, I quite I gravitated towards them. I remember one of my other brothers who I shared a room with, he had a CD he got somewhere, which was like the 20 greatest rock anthems of all time. And yeah. Poison was on it, and Here I Go Again by Whitesnake was on it, and um, Paranoid was on it. And I, I used to listen to that a lot, and I really liked it. Um, so me and my friend Kevin, who was on my first episode of Feckin' Metal, and also also episode 15, um, he and I had a kind of similar taste in music, and we used to go to the CD section in HMV, which was the big music store in, in Dublin, or Terror Records, and we okay. used to walk by the hard rock and metal section, and we'd be looking at Iron Maiden albums, and I think you've said this yourself, but we'd be looking at the Iron Maiden albums, and they were intimidating, but yet fascinating. Um, right, it was, right. It was kind of like walking by the horror section in the video shop when you were younger, and picking up Friday the 13th Part 6 and going, wow, that looks pretty scary but i'm absolutely <laughs> drawn to it and I, I was always drawn to horror as a child as well like any any horror films or anything like that anything a bit dark a bit um scary sure. looking so i was drawn to these album covers but i was too intimidated to buy them and <laughs> event, eventually my friend kevin was a, he was working in a, a supermarket and one of the guys he was working with was like no you have to listen to iron maiden they're brilliant so this guy was a drummer and he he was, was talking about how good nico mcbrain was as a drummer so kevin went and bought the best of the beast double cd and um i ended up listening to it and i recorded it onto a mini disc uh, showing my age there again and um <laughs> after that the, the floodgates were opened basically we we both loved them immediately and they soon became my favorite band that's well yeah that's I, yeah I, I listened to your episode with uh kevin and uh i i thought it was very interesting how you and, and when you said that about the album covers that was you know well, the year you were born, you know, I was uh, I was in middle school, so yeah. um, I was uh, I can remember re- looking at magazines. You know, they had uh, back then it was like Hit Parader magazine and Circus magazine and things like that. And when they would advertise for Iron Maiden albums, and I would see those album covers, and I'd just be I was listening at the time to things like Kiss and Motley Crue and um i don't know quiet riot twisted sister things that were very you know pretty accessible and when i'd see that i would think the same thing i was like ah that's that's too heavy for me i um and yeah 
And then I, you know, I had my argument with the guy and he brought me the cassette of peace of mind. And I heard the first song I heard to my recollection was flight of Icarus. And I thought, Oh, wow. This is, uh, not at all what I was expecting. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's like what and, I'm going back I'm to look at. The, you kind of had the same sorry, reaction sorry, when you, sorry, you sorry. first it's like heard it. When I was going back to saying what I was saying about the horror videos, you're looking at the cover of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When you finally watch it, you're like, wow, there was no chainsaws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, Spo- spoiler for anyone there who hasn't seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so you said that was, so the first album, what was the first album by Iron Man? You said you had the, Best of the Beast, you you, yes. you uh, copied it, got it on mini disc, and um, I listened to it. But I listened to it in, in bits and pieces because it was so it was so vast. It was like a thirty four track double CD version. Uh, the vinyl version was even longer, I think. But the, there was a single and double CD version. I had got the double CD again. That was twenty five pounds. I remember paying that for it. Oh my uh, god! Which is that's about thirty euro or thirty two euro, which is insane money to be paying for a CD. But that's how much it was back then, and um. I uh I, I love the Blaze stuff. So that opened the album because it was in reverse chronological order. So I loved Virus. I loved Afraid to Shoot Strangers, the live version. Um yeah. and Sign of the Cross and Man on the Edge. And I didn't really know the difference between Blaze or Bruce or Paul Diano or anything about it. Like I had, I had no clue that they had different singers. I, I kind of knew who Bruce Dickinson was, but as far as I was concerned, when I put on Virus, I was listening to Bruce Dickinson because I had knew no different. And right. um, I was looking at the back covers, like they had three distinct pictures of the three different lineups and one had Bruce, one had Blaze, one had Paul, and I didn't know who was who or <laughs> anything. <laughs> so it took a long time to learn all of that information. <laughs> That's funny. So I haven't I haven't seen that album. I, I don't I don't own any uh, greatest hits albums, but if I if I have a song off of greatest if it's like virus, I, I downloaded virus or I'll yeah. download something specific to the album. So there was a picture of the three guys like you like if it was me I'm thinking of what I would have done like I would have gotten let's say I had number of the beast album and peace of mind and I would compare it I would go okay okay here's Dave Murray on this one or here's the blonde headed guy and then okay this is Adrian Smith this is uh oh wait this guy looks different than this wait where's this guy who's this guy you know so yeah, yeah I know I know you didn't notice that <laughs> but it was, it was I was so naive and innocent is <laughs> it and I remember flipping through the booklet so the booklet of that compilation is one of the best booklets i've ever seen they had release date information and everything about all of the singles and all of the albums and what the b-sides were and all of that stuff and like i think even chart positions and things like it was just ridiculously detailed so i I used to read that a lot and i gradually came to accept that harris because that was in brackets the most beside all of the songs sure harris must be the singer (laughs) and obviously i was completely completely wrong about that and um (laughs) I remember hearing that Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter was their only ever number one single. And I remember when I was looking at the credits for that song, it said Dickinson. And I was like, that's yeah. funny that their lead singer didn't write their most popular song. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. But it that's was funny. I had, I had no clue. Neither of us had any clue what we were doing back then. Like, I didn't have the internet, even though it was available. It would have been 2002. But I didn't get the internet till about 2006, I think, in my house. Uh, okay. So... There was no Wikipedia. There was nothing. So it wasn't really until I got um, Mick Wall's book, Run to the Hills, a few months later that okay. I actually learned what was going on in the band at all. And that was such a valuable source of information to me. And just because of that, it's one of my favorite books of all time. It, like, it's not a piece of literature or anything like that, but it's yeah. it's just such a tome of information. And they interview every single person, really, who had any uh, large or even 
small part to play in in the band and because of that I, I just read that the cover to cover about seven or eight times and that was my internet back in 2002 um sorry i don't know if i answered your question you're asking about the first line maiden album i bought were you no no no, no. um i i was just talking about uh, when you first heard it um but you know it, it that what you said though about the picture kind of makes me think when i got into kiss at the time it was it was the uh the line, the animalized lineup with Mark St. John. And oh, yeah. when I, when I got into kiss, I mean, for all I know, Mark St. John is, I don't know how many albums they've got to me. Kiss is Gene, Paul, Mark and Eric, and they're all equally as important because it's a band. And I had no idea that there was an ace, a Peter of any Vincent or anything like that. But I remember looking in a magazine and it said in the magazine, it announced, they said, uh, Kiss has a new guitarist, Bruce Kulick. And I, and I remember when I thought, when I read that, I was like, Oh, they're a five piece now. Cool. You know, cause you don't know how, you don't, I didn't, you know, when you're young and you don't know how bands work and you don't know anything at all about anything, you just, you, you, you take it with kind of, I guess, a certain amount of innocence. So I imagine yeah. getting that book would have been really cool. It um, was. And you know what? I think it, it started my obsession, which con- continues to this day about being obsessed about albums years they were released and who performs on them because any bands I seriously got into after that I got into with like in that level of detail and I think that book brought that out in me it, it, the kind of obsessive music fan right. uh, because I was just reading it so often and so frequently and I committed everything to memory not even deliberately by accident because I just yeah. read it I consumed it so like I have a ridiculous memory for albums and titles and years they were released and band members and things to this day but i think that book was the start of all of that for better or worse that's cool that's cool okay so when you were listening to that album the uh, best of the beast uh you you mentioned that obviously you liked the blaze stuff was there any other songs or and maybe you answered this already was there other songs that stood out like when you what of the bruce era stood out to you the most um, so I, I worked my way through it in pieces because it was so long, but uh, I did remember that the clairvoyant stood out to me a lot. Uh, the number of the beast stood out to me. I loved that song. Um, and then we, when I finally got to the end of the album, I really liked Strange World, um, okay. which was the um, the Soundhouse Tapes version, which was on that compilation. Um, but like, I ended up loving all of it. There, there was nothing on it that I didn't like. And that's probably going to be the case with with a best of but sure yeah I, I i gradually worked my way through and i just listened to it constantly and i ended up loving the whole thing and then when i found out who the different singers were that just made it even more interesting because i'd be kind yeah. of sometimes listen to it in reverse and start with the pause stuff and make my way back or forward if you want <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's i mean i have this i have that same thing with like i said with kiss because i went i remember i liked kiss and i remember i went to a record store one day and I go in there and there is just a ton of, there's all these things. I've, I'm like, what is this? Dynasty? Hotter than hell? Rock yeah. and roll over? I mean, just there's so many, you know, there was so many different things. And I'm just kind of like, where do you even start, you know? So so where did you start? Like you you start, you hear that and obviously you, you realize, okay, this is a band that has other material out. Where did you start in the process of, because this is around uh is this around what year? It's mid two thousand and two. So um, I would okay. have been on my summer holidays uh, working in a pub, earning money. So I had I had money to burn uh, as a as a sixteen year old. Um, and I think I went into Tower Records one day and I picked up Killers and Brave New World at the same time. And there was method to my madness. So I used to compare the albums 
the studio albums with the track listing on Best of the Beast, and I wanted to buy the albums that had the fewest crossovers in terms of songs with yeah, the with the tracks on Best of the Beast. So Brave New World obviously had none because Best of the Beast was released in '96, and then Killers. I think there was only Rat Child. Uh, was the only crossover maybe one other I can't remember off the top of my head but it had the fewest songs that featured on the compilation so I was like um, I, I want to hear as many songs as I can that are new So right yeah that makes sense yeah so it was me and Kevin who were in Terror Records I, I bought the two albums so I brought them home put Killers aside because you know that was kind of old hat and stuck on uh, Praise New World and we just sat there and I think we played the opening 30 seconds of like every song just to see what they sounded like and it just sounded so fresh and so different and completely yeah. different to anything on Best of the Beast, I thought. And there's such a clean sound. And I don't know, it, we were, I was very happy with my purchase, put it that way. And it, like every song we put on was one after the other was like, this is fantastic. It, was, right. like, it just kept getting better and better. And uh, that to this day, that that's still my favorite Iron Maiden album. And that was a, a pivotal moment, I think, in my Iron Maiden fandom. I'd say if I had it bought... Um, no prayer for the dying and fear of the dark. Like you mightn't be having me on the podcast this <laughs> by now. Uh, <laughs> you, you might not even be. We just would have left a different impression. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that brave it new is, world uh, was was it for me. So where does uh, not that I want you to rank your albums here, but where does Killers? I guess because a lot of times people seem to get into a band at a certain point, and then they have this real sentimental like people that got into him in the 80s when power slave and stuff was out they they're like oh power slave is the best and so do you find that you feel like killers and do you feel like killers is up there with you like for sentimental value as one of your I favorites love, are you saying killers now or brave new world killers 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 i really like but i'm not i'm not a person who ranks things really um i don't think okay. i'd be able to do one of those versions of your show where you rank all sorts of stuff it's like i don't know I, I i can't do that like it's it's not how i look at things i look at them differently um so i will say that i think killers is really good and i love lots of the songs on it murders in the room org killers yeah um and i can't think off the top of my head what else is even on it now Ratchild. i'm not a huge fan of Ratchild because it often appears in live shows where i don't want to see it but as, yeah. as an actual song it's actually quite good but i think the album is very good i just I don't know, there'd be five or six or seven or eight albums that I prefer to it, put it that way. So maybe middle of the pile. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can relate. I can relate. It took me a, it took me a while to get used to Paul because I, I got into him on Live After Death. I heard, you know, Phantom of the Opera and Running Free and Wrathchild and, and those songs with, with Bruce singing them. So to me, it was Bruce. And I remember I liked uh, Made in Japan. and But when I listened to... Killers and heard the way they sounded on there. I just thought, I don't know if I like this. It took me. It took me a really, really long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. one thing. One thing about the song "Killers" actually that used to be one of the songs I'd listen to when I was getting ready to go out. So like when I was getting oh, that's a great song. When I was like sixteen, seventeen, going to the pub for the first time, getting dressed, and I used to put on the song "Killers," um, and it just get me pumped up, ready to, to, oh, ready wow. to go out. <laughs> okay, wait. I have a question. Um, because you're from Ireland, if, if yeah. people are listening and they can't figure that out. Um, what is the, like, and I don't know if it's changed or not, but what's the legal drinking age in Ireland? 18. 18, okay. okay. So when you were going to the pub at 16 or 17, you weren't drinking? I was just- breaking the law, breaking the law. <laughs> hey, this is a maiden. We're talking about maiden, <laughs> not priest, okay? Oh, sorry. Um- we already we already talked about Judas Priest before. 
yeah, though, so like, I mean, I would have, my parents would have known I was going to the pub when I was 16. Um, I said it yeah. to them. I was like, listen, what my mom always told me, you can go to the pub when you're 17 because she knew I was going to drink regardless. So there was no point in trying to stop it. So I think it was like a two months from my 17th birthday. I was like, look, all of my friends are going to the pub. I'd like to go with them. Can I go with them? And she's like, okay. But she was like, as long as you promise to only have four drinks. So I lied and said that I would. <laughs> okay. So would they serve you? Oh, yeah. Well, I had a fake I mean, ID. They... Like, I, I used my brother's passport. Okay. okay. My, older, my older brother's passport. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then I, sense, I eventually just got a fake ID. So, yeah. They'd serve okay. me. Yeah. Well, you were, because you said you said, oh, I got a job there when I was 16. I was like, well, that's surprising. That just surprises me that I guess over here, because the drinking age in uh, the United States, well, where I live in Texas, it's twenty one. Yeah. So, but like, you could get a job working in a pub when you're fifteen. I mean, I was fourteen, I think, but I lied and told them I was fifteen. But uh, <laughs> you could get a job. I was working on my first pub when I was fourteen. Um, I'm starting yeah. to see a trend here. <laughs> <laughs> I loved working in pubs. That was like some of my favorite jobs I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to ask? I was about to ask you something about the pub. I can't remember what it was now. Um, okay. Uh, Okay, so you're getting into Iron Maiden. It's 2002. Um, when did you first see Iron Maiden live in person at a show? All right. Okay, so I think Iron Maiden hadn't played Dublin since 1991. And I, somebody might correct me on that, but I think the last time they played in Ireland or Dublin was 91 on the uh, No Prayer for the Dying tour, or 1990, but I think that tour went on to 91, so I think that was it. So my friend Kevin and I were, were like, well, they're never going to play in Dublin. And in the early 2000s, like it was, bands didn't really come to Dublin or Ireland as much. They they do now, like yeah. all of the big acts do now, but they didn't really back then. And um, I probably, it was probably a lot to do with the kind of venues we had. Um, okay. So like the, the big indoor venue now in Dublin is called the Three Arena, but it used to be called the Point Depot. And that has been like knocked down and completely refurbished to a oh, wow. state of state of the art arena but it wasn't back then it was a little shed at the, the north of dublin um sorry and um sorry not a little shed but it was like a big a big shed but it, it wasn't like it wasn't particularly well regarded for its sound or, or whatever um so yeah. it could have been to do with that but we we just assumed that iron maiden were never going to play in dublin again and we started looking into when we could go and see them and we saw they were announced for the download festival in uh, 2003 in obviously in Donington and we, we knew we knew the, the lore of Donington from reading the Mick Wall book and all of that stuff so we were like we have to go and see them in Donington right. so we got we got Kevin's dad's credit card I don't know if we had permission or not but we definitely paid for the tickets <laughs> based, <laughs> based on, based on what you've said so far I'm guessing y'all didn't have permission <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we booked flights over to the east or East Midlands International Airport. We had to Google all this stuff. And like in 2003, like Googling stuff and Google Maps and all, either it didn't exist like with Google Maps or just Googling information. It, like it wasn't as commonplace to just look oh, up yeah. and go, how do I do this? How do I do that? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we were like 17 years old, naive, whatever. And uh, we, we pieced together what we were supposed to do and what the nearest airport was and all that. And we went to uh we went to see them and download in 2003 but i had to get permission from my parents to go initially and my sister who was living in america she still does actually she lives in san francisco but when she found out that um that i wanted to go to this she was like ma'am you know they're like they eat their young and they're, they're <laughs> devil worshippers eat their young wow <laughs> i mean she was being melodramatic but 
she did yeah. genuinely have concerns that I was going to see Iron Maiden. So I, I've told this story on other podcasts, but it's worth saying again. So Iron Maiden released a Kerrang special that year. Um, or Kerrang released an Iron Maiden special, I should say. It's, Kerrang is a big magazine in the UK. I'm sure you probably right. have heard of it. Mick Walla Kerrang in the Guns N' Roses song. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but um, and it, like, I had little interviews with all the band members. So I had interviews with Dave Murray and Nick McBrain about playing golf and Adrian Smith going fishing and all that stuff. So I was showing my mom, I was like, look, they, they're fishermen and they play golf. They don't eat their young. They're not devil worshippers. <laughs> <laughs> that went That's a long funny. way to convincing her to let me go. But they did eventually. Both of our parents let us go. And we flew over to England. This is the first trip either of us had ever made outside of Ireland on our own with no parents or, or school teachers. And um, we were 17, arrived at Download and hadn't got a clue what we were doing. But we just followed the big crowd of black T-shirts and it all worked yeah. out well in the end. But right. That was a fantastic show. Like I, I, I'm in two minds at the moment to say whether or not it's the best set list I've ever seen. But they're playing great stuff. They played Brave New World and The Wicker Man. They played The Clansman. Uh, they played Revelations. Uh, they played Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, which I don't think they've ever played since. Um, and they played lots of interesting stuff. Uh, and it was just a really good stuff, a really good set list with songs from almost every album played. And they played Wildest Dreams as well. They debuted that on that tour. I, I didn't like that song at all, but it was still interesting to see something new that no one else really had seen other than the previous few shows on the tour. But yeah, that was, right. that was absolutely fantastic. And, um, we were on such a high, a natural high. You know, we'd had some alcohol, but after seeing them, we, we, no other substances were consumed. So we, we were on such a natural high walking back from the concert venue to our, our tent uh, after seeing Iron Maiden for the first time. And then, lo and behold, they ended up playing a show in Dublin that year on the Dance of Death Tour. So we only had to wait a few more months and we saw them again. Now, you went, and now, you went to the Dublin show, correct? Yes, we did, yeah. Now, um, how did how was that show? How was it seeing them? Well, obviously, that was the first time they had played there for a long time. So how was that? It was great. But I think because of that, there were a lot of old school fans who hadn't, um, like, the crowd was a lot of older people. I remember that. And um, I really enjoyed it. We, Me and Kevin, we both loved Dance of Death. That was the first song, our first album to come out during our fandom, you know, okay. like, during the time we, we were fans. So... I was a first day buyer of that, went to the shop the day it was out, listened to it back to front, thought it was brilliant. Um, nice. But we we went to the Point Depot, as I was explaining earlier, the old venue in Dublin, and um, there was a lot of older, kind of cranky, cranky old metal fans in the audience. And I seem to remember some of the new stuff not going down too well, um, but we loved it. So so when they were playing Passchendaele and they were playing uh, Rainmaker and No More Lies, we, we were in our element, but there was other people with their like arms folded and that yeah. type of thing. And then at that actual show, they um, they during the Trooper, they waved the Union Jack, which is the flag of the United Kingdom, as I know you've learned recently. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a huge, massive history between Ireland and, and Britain and the the Union Jack... Well, certainly 17 years ago isn't a very welcome symbol or flag in the Republic of Ireland because Britain obviously ruled Ireland for 800 years. And with, with certain generations and certain types of people, there's a lot of resentment still there. And the, the band were booed vociferously when they waved the Union Jack on stage. And it actually made all of the newspapers the next day. Um, wow. Yeah. So like the mirror, I think the mirror is like a tabloid rag in Ireland and the mirror was saying that Iron Maiden were nearly inciting riots, which was a massive uh, exaggeration. <laughs> but uh, I remember getting into an argument with my dad about this in the car a few days later. So he always was taking little digs at Iron Maiden 
just because he didn't understand it or whatever and like sure. he didn't he's no interest in any music whatsoever but he didn't understand why I was walking around with these t-shirts on and blah 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 and he was like I heard Iron Maiden were causing riots in the Point Depot and <laughs> I was like they weren't yeah. causing riots I was like they always waved that flag it's part That's of the, tro- the trooper the trooper single cover blah 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 and I was like why am I arguing with my dad about this he doesn't know anything about it um, but yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my overall memories of that show are great other than the kind of sour note about the booing uh, but they, they did return to Dublin in 2017 and waived the Union Jack and there was no booing whatsoever so right. uh, people people had matured or attitudes had changed or whatever and I, I'd just like to say I'm not one of those people who holds resentment for British people at all uh, most or if not all British people I've ever met have been perfectly nice and pleasant it's just it's the history kind of with some people of Ireland sure. and England or Ireland and Britain Um and in 2003, uh, it just wasn't the right time to be doing that. Um, and I think they learned their lesson because when they played Belfast in 2011, they didn't even play the Trooper. They left it out of the set entirely. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. They were like, oh, what was causing the riot? Well, this this one guitar player, he just had a big smile on his face the whole time. We couldn't stand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor yeah. Dave. Uh, wait, you know what? Where I'm sitting, and I believe where you're sitting, today is Dave Murray's birthday. You know oh, that? so I saw. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, earlier, so yeah. I know, and I know Dave Murray listens to my podcast. So hey, Dave, of course you don't. Sure, he listens to Feckin' Metal too. Happy birthday, Dave! Yeah, yeah. He'll uh, maybe maybe we. I don't know if if I, if I have room to squeeze him on on my podcast. I know you know I've got a lot of people lined up, so you know maybe I can get him on eventually though. So. Yeah, <laughs> Asher, don't 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 shuffle too many things around. You know, it's only Dave Murray. <laughs> exactly, man. I would. I would hang up the phone on you right now if he texted me and said, "Hey, can you can I talk to you right now?" Lucky uh, we're not on the phone then, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, good thing you're sitting in the room with me here. So, okay, so, um, okay, that was one. Now, it sounds like uh, you know you you sent me an email with a lot of different information. So, how many times total have you seen Iron Maiden at this point? Twelve. Wow, that's that's wild. You know, my my first show ever was in January of nineteen. No, I'm sorry, July of nineteen eighty eight. And I know this will be of interest to you because I know a little bit about you. But two days later, I believe it was later. Two days later, I saw Guns N' Roses opening for Aerosmith. <laughs> wow! So, yeah, I would, like. But if I were at the correct age, I would have been there in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, and and funny is I, I went to that show and I was there to see Guns N' Roses and he was there to see Aerosmith. So um, he was my age too. But um, okay, so but I've seen Iron Maiden seven times between '88 and the Legacy of the Beast tour. <laughs> so so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now um, now you told me that there was a period of time between 2006 and 10 that you pretty much dropped out of listening to Maiden. So what happened there? Yeah, so I thought A Matter of Life and Death was a great album, and I really listened to it a lot back then. And um, there, it wasn't because of anything to do with music. I think, though, uh, like so it, it, it's partly probably due to going to see A Matter of Life and Death, uh, the live show. So me and Kevin went, and um, we, we stupidly stayed drinking in a hotel bar uh, quite late, and in Ireland, there's there's this kind of culture of Asher. They want they're not going to start till half nine. It says eight on the ticket, but they won't start till half nine. Now that I think people have 
changed how they view these these shows in, in recent years because things do start when they say they're going to start. But um, yeah. <laughs> And there was a lot of stuff like that didn't start until half nine, you know, even if it's at eight on the ticket. So that was Im- embedded in our in our brains that it wasn't going to start till whatever time. And I think when we got there, they were on the fourth or fifth song. And oh. they were playing, I know, <laughs> and they were playing A Matter of Life and oh, Death in full. Oh, man. I know, and I, I've regretted that ever since. And I've never been late to a show ever since in my life. But um, <laughs> we, we got there and these again, aren't the, the crowd days were kind of like, they're playing the whole... Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, the crowd were, again, they were, like, arms folded, like, oh, they're playing the whole album back to front, blah, blah, blah. Like, a lot of people were complaining. Uh, There was a bad atmosphere, I remember, at the show, because, again, it was full of these older Iron Maiden fans who wanted to hear The Trooper, who wanted to hear uh, basically the set list from Live After Death. And they were standing there kind of grumpy looking and blah, blah, blah. And it was it, it soured me a bit on Iron Maiden and I remember saying to Kevin afterwards I don't know if I'd bother going to see them the next time they play and I can remember saying this and now looking back on that it's shocking but we'd been to sure. two Iron Maiden shows in a row where the crowd were being grumpy old farts and the band were brilliant I have to stress especially like The Legacy and um, oh, For the Greater Good of God and, and seeing those songs live was outstanding and obviously they played a lot of hits at the end but it, you know it, it just wasn't enough for those people who'd come to see all right. of their all of their own favourite songs and nothing else you know those type of people <laughs> yeah so, yeah like, Irish people can be a bit grumpy and stubborn and <laughs> si- silly about that type of stuff I think and um, I, uh, I was a bit soured on the band after that I think and it wasn't anything to do with the band. It was just an experience related to the band, which yeah. hadn't gone so well. And it was our firstly, it was our own fault for being late. Secondly, there wasn't a great atmosphere at the show, so it just didn't leave a good impression. And and they didn't actually play in Ireland again until two thousand and ten. So it, it wasn't as if there were opportunities to see them again in Ireland. There weren't. Um, yeah. But I started listening to other stuff around then, like. Um, there was another band, Iced Earth, which I got into in the early 2000s, and they had some albums out like around 2007, 2008. I was listening to them a lot. I really got into Alice Cooper around that time and went back okay. through like the entire back catalogue. I was listening to, uh, like, I was listening to Morrissey, uh, which I talked about on Melissa's podcast. I was listening to um, different stuff and uh, like Marillion, the prog band, and I just kind of went out of listening to Iron Maiden as much. And uh, while I watched. Uh, you know, the DVD uh, somewhere back in time and I really enjoyed that and I liked Flight 666. They oh, yeah. weren't, they weren't, um, I wasn't listening to them like really frequently, like they're my favourite band in the world between about late 2006 and I don't mm. know, about 2010, mid 2010 when I went to see them again uh, on the Final Frontier tour. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder about when they did that, I, cause I can definitely, I love, I love a matter of life and death. I love the album, but I can understand that how a person would feel if they went to that show. And, and it would depend to if, like you said, depending on the type of fan, if they're the, the nostalgia fan, or if they're a lifer kind of fan, like where they're into, they're into everything, but I can understand how they would feel if that, you know, they, okay, they're going to play a couple new songs and they'll play some old songs and then they, play a couple new songs and a couple more new songs and a couple more new songs and a couple more, what the heck is going on here you know i mean yeah that's all they're going like, to play by the time we got in three or four songs deep or whatever it was 
the people had been hearing for like three or four new songs and they were they had had their fill of new songs by that point yeah. but like I, I was more annoyed with the people in the crowd for not knowing that the band were playing the album in full because it had been so heavily publicised and like yeah. I know there are some people who just consume media and music differently and whatever and they weren't necessarily on the internet but even through um, word of mouth how did you not hear that this is what this was <laughs> because like yeah. I knew this from the minute it was announced so I, I, I find I find Crowds can be quite selfish at, at concerts a lot of the time. Like if yeah. they don't get exactly what they want, then they go home unhappy. And I think that's a very selfish and and silly way to be because a band, they're artists. They they have to also love what they're doing. And at the time, Iron Maiden thought the best thing we can do for ourselves is play in our our entire new album because we love it and we're really proud of it. Like and like, do they owe us? Do they owe us the hits? Do they owe us the set list that we want? I don't know if they do. Um, yeah. I don't know if they do at all. The, well, yeah, Maiden's definitely a band that has always kind of done things their own way as opposed to, like, you go all the way back to when they released the Soundhouse tapes and they released 5,000 copies or whatever. And yeah. they got offered, hey, let's put out 15,000 more or let's put out 10,000 more because there's such a demand. And they were just like, yeah. Well, if we do that, then it takes away from it. Just it took it takes away from everything that that it was to have a copy. So, yeah, and I, I hugely it, respect them for that. Actually, they've never released it since. Although I'd love if they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if you think about it, as a brand new band, you know, as a as a pretty new band back then, that would have been a lot of money in their pocket, you know. <laughs> It would have, yeah, it would. But like, I don't know. Was Rod with them back then? Was he back with them in nineteen eighty? I can't remember. But that I seems like so. a, a Rod Smallwood thing. Like, no, let's make it exclusive, and then everybody will. I mean, give you know, let their demand out, outweigh supply. Blah blah blah. Which is smart. <laughs> but they've always they've always had a knack for um, always doing things for the most part in a way that were uh, you know that that uh, echoed integrity. Um, you told me that you saw Blaze live and you got to meet him in 2011? I did, yeah. So um, Blaze was playing in a very small venue. It was a, it's a pub in Dublin called Fibber McGee's, which is a, a rock and metal bar. And um, I saw that he was playing and it was around a time in my life where I'd missed a lot of shows because I didn't want to go to gigs on my own. But I, for that one, I just said, ah, screw it. I, I like, I'm going to go and, and see Blaze. It'll be such a waste if I don't see him because I wasn't aware of any time previously that he played. And I yeah. said, yeah, I have to go to this. So I went on my own. And afterwards, um, it was a small venue. He was selling his own merch. So naturally, I went over and spoke to him. And he was a really nice person. And all of the stories I heard about him turned out to be true. Like, he was really nice, very affable. Um, took several photos with me. Uh, the first few I took became came came out blurry, so he, he posed for several more until I got a good one. Oh, that's um, awesome. And then I, I felt like I should buy a t-shirt from him, although at the time his t-shirt designs were horrendous. Uh, there, was, <laughs> um, there was a Blaze Bailey t-shirt. So at the time, the album that was out was called The King of Metal, which is him kind of, I think it's wearing a, a, a crown of thorns, I think, on uh-huh. it, um, on that one. Um, and I'd listened to it a bit. It was all right. There was a, a, a song about Ronnie James Dio, who had recently died, and there was a few other songs that were decent. Uh, but he played, obviously, you know, the Klansman sign of the cross um, and a couple of Iron Maiden songs and then he played like uh, uh, Kill and Destroy and Identity and those Blaze songs that I really love um, so that was a great show um, but that's r- yeah he was selling these rubbish t-shirts with, with a robot on it like a really <laughs> badly drawn robot 
like somebody did on Microsoft Paint or something. <laughs> I, think I, I think I still have it. It was awful. But I felt like I should buy a 15 euro T-shirt from him just because he was so nice. Uh, so I did. Sure. Yeah, that's really, I mean, just to support him. That's cool. That's cool. Um, that That's cool, though, about what you're saying about him because he always comes across like um, kind of the way you hear about Ronnie James Dio, the way he was with fans. And I know that uh, that was, I, if I remember correctly, that was one of Blaze's biggest influences. So, yeah, it was. I, yeah, he he says in Mick Wall's book that Ronnie James Dio is his biggest influence, and he loves everything from Elf to um, Black Sabbath and whatever in between and stuff. Yeah. So, oh wow. Um, yeah. Now, okay, so um, I'm going along cr- chronologically here. You told me that you went and saw the Made in England show in 2013, right? I did, yeah. I went over to London to see that, yeah. So, quick question. Um, uh, it's a geography question here. <laughs> How far is it from where, from say, from Dublin uh, to get to London? If you were, um, if you weren't going by plane, I mean, is it a, uh, is it a five hour bus ride? Is it a to London? Well, London is on a different, like London is in Britain, so you couldn't get there by bus. Is there a body of water separating it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So London is in England, in the island of Great Britain, whereas Ireland is separated by a body of water. <laughs> okay. See, I'm, like I said, okay. So never mind. So, uh, so you have to fly there. Okay. Never yes. mind. Well, unless you're going to swim there, but I, I don't think I'd be that good a swimmer. How long would it take you to swim? <laughs> uh, about six hundred days, I'd say. Oh wow. Okay. So okay. Um, you told me that you did have some funny stories about going to this Made in England show, so I want you to uh, embellish here. Yeah. Uh, so I went to this. So um, my friend Kevin was living in Liverpool at the time. He lived there for a long time. Uh, but this was in London, obviously. So I flew into Liverpool, and uh, we made our way to London by train, I think. And he knew this guy from college who was called T.P., Okay. Uh, not to be not to be confused with PP from earlier. Uh, <laughs> I just remember it was this guy's his name was TP, and he annoyed me before I even met him because he had such a stupid name. But uh, we had this guy called, <laughs> had this guy called TP, and um, he was living in Hackney, which is a suburb of London. And um, Hackney is kind of a bit of a working class area, but uh, TP was living in this flat, which used to be a council house, um, uh, or in America you might call them. The projects. I'm not sure if that's exactly okay. the same type of thing, but okay. th- th- think along those lines. And um, we uh, we stayed in this kind of like he was nice enough to put us up, but you know, other than that, uh, I n- wouldn't be rushing out to hang around with him again. Uh, but he, uh, <laughs> he put us up in his his place in Hackney, and um, we decided to go out for a few drinks. Uh, so we got there one night. It was the Friday. Let's say Iron Maiden were on the Saturday. We got there on the Friday, went out for a few drinks, blah, blah, blah. Um, next day we got up and I was very conscious about getting to to the O2 Arena on time because it was a, quite a distance from Hackney and I think we had to get two different trains. Okay. And um, I had asked TP the night before for his address and he was like, don't worry about that, man. Sure, we'll all be coming home together. I was like, just give me your address. And he's like, <laughs> don't be such a dope, man. I was like, can you just give me your address just for safety reasons? And he wouldn't give me his address. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he was just one of those type of people. So I kind of dropped it because it was, it was causing tension. And yeah. the, the second the second day, we still didn't have his address. And I asked him for his phone number and he wouldn't give me his phone number either. I was like, just in case we need to ring you, like we might get lost. We're going over to the O2 in London. And he didn't, he reluctantly gave me his phone number eventually. But um, 
I don't think I charged my phone the night before. So we probably would have got home about four in the morning and I didn't plug it in. And the next day we woke up and we went straight out to the pub and then we went straight. Me and Kevin, eventually I dragged him away. We were drinking and I managed to drag him away so we'd go see an Iron Maiden because I learned my lesson by being late the last time in 2006 yeah. and I wasn't going to miss any of this show. So luckily we saw all the show. But um, by the time the show was finished, my phone was dead and Kevin's phone was dead. And we had to make our way back to a random place in Hackney that oh we didn't boy. have the address of. And I, di- I didn't even have TP's phone number because my, my phone was dead. Phone's and, dead. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so this is 2013, wandering around Hackney. Um, sorry, we, we managed to get a train back to somewhere or a, or a tram or something. Yeah. Uh, we, we knew we were in the vicinity of the place, but we might as well. We were in like the middle of suburbia, just flats oh, or wow. apartments, whatever, just surrounding us. We walked around for about seven hours looking for this place and were unable to find it. Oh and we couldn't, God. when we met people on the street, we couldn't tell them the address because we didn't know the address. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so we were walking around and eventually I had to go to the toilet and it was getting bright. And uh, I'm not talking about a number one. Let's yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I held it in as long as I could, but we were walking and walking and walking and we still, in, like in our minds anyway, we were nowhere close to where we were looking for and it, it was so early in the morning that the market stalls had started opening again for business so there was like a street market at some point and like it was that it was like i'm sorry it was so late in the morning whatever it was like 7 a.m basically so people oh, were wow. setting up for business children were starting to come out and play and like i was dying absolutely dying to go to the toilet yeah so uh I had to find this park. So we found a park in the middle of Hackney. In, and it turned out we were quite close to where we were looking for. But we found this park in the middle of Hackney when it was like 7 a.m. and the sun was shining and it was the middle of August and I had to go to the toilet. And uh, I did. <laughs> it's not my proudest moment. Uh, and it's an area where children would have been playing later on that day. <laughs> but but I, I, I had two choices. One of them was to do that. And, well, you know what the other one was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, so that's not my proudest ever moment. But then I think within about 10 minutes of walking, we had found uh, TP's flat by pure chance. And I think I probably could have held it in another 10 minutes had I known we were so oh, close to where sure, we were looking sure. for. Yeah. But, but there you go. Yeah, that was, that, I mean, and the show was fantastic as well, obviously. <laughs> that's all, yeah, I saw that tour uh, in 2012. It was definitely, uh, definitely killer. Um, yeah, that was really good. Uh, I remember they played Seven Son of a Seven Son uh, and The Prisoner. Um, and lots of other, obviously, really good songs from that. Uh, Moonchild, I think they opened with Moonchild as well. So. Yeah, they, they pretty much played the set from The Seventh Son. The only thing I think got left out was um, Infinite Dreams, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see here. Now, on the Book of Souls tour, you told me that you got to go to consecutive shows in Dublin and Liverpool, but you said there was some uh, some circumstances that had to all work together to make that happen. Well, no, it was just them. Um, like I, I live in Dublin, and Kevin lives in Liverpool. So we, we'd actually seen them. We saw them twice in twenty sixteen as well, and like our options were kind of limited. So we went to see them at Download. So that's like a four day festival, but it had a good lineup. So we went to that, and then we went to see them in Gothenburg because uh, we had friends in Sweden. But like we 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 ended up having to take days off work and stuff for for all of those shows, which is fine. And like sure, I mean, there's there's no better use of a holiday than to go to see Iron Maiden, but. <laughs> Like it, it does build up, especially if you want to go to a lot of gigs each year and, and stuff like that. But then by complete luck and chance in 2017, 
Iron Maiden announced that they were playing both Dublin and Liverpool and they never played Liverpool before, I don't think, ever. As far yeah. as I know, uh, maybe I'll look that up and just confirm, but um, as far as I know, they had never played in Liverpool before. So they, they announced not only were they playing uh, Dublin, they were also playing Liverpool and both of those fell on Saturdays and they were also consecutive weeks. So um, I think it was um, maybe the 6th of... I'm going to get this wrong. I think they were in May anyway, May 2017. So let's say yeah. one was the 6th of May. Actually, I think this is right. The 6th of May 2017, they played Dublin. The 13th of May 2017, they played Liverpool, both on Saturdays. So we could have basically an Iron Maiden weekend, oh, uh, yeah. two weekends in a row. So Kevin flew over to Dublin for for the Dublin show. I flew over to Liverpool for the Liverpool show. It was just, I don't know, like, I don't know if I've ever had such a, a strong connection with the band <laughs> as I did uh, yeah. maybe the following year when I went to see them in London but it was just like that whole summer building up to those dates I, I, like I told you I kind of fell out of love with Iron Maiden a bit right. back in between 2006 and 2010 by the time the Book of Souls came out 2016 2017 and right to this day I've never been more in love with the band and that might sound contradictory based on some of the comments I made earlier <laughs> but like I, I think you can set that aside you know there's Writing credits are one thing, but an absolute love of a band and their music and going to see their shows and the culture and the people, I think oh, that's a yeah. separate thing. Yeah, like, I mean, and, it's... And like, yeah, I, I've never felt more in love with the band as, than I did around the Book of Souls tour. Like, it was just a, it was a magic time of just fantastic shows and, and like a stroke of luck that they played on Saturdays and they happened to play in Kevin's city and they happened to play in my city. Yeah. It, was just, it was a great time, a great time to be alive. <laughs> Yeah, so that's probably that's probably about a month before I saw them on that tour. I saw them in June. I believe it was June 23rd in Dallas on uh, right. that tour. Okay, now another thing you said. You said you got to meet Steve Harris the same year, correct? I did, yeah. So 2017 was just a ridiculous year for Iron Maiden for me. So not only did um, Iron Maiden play in Dublin and Liverpool, but uh, f- when Iron Maiden had finished touring, British Lion announced that they were doing a tour, and they were playing the Button Factory in... Dublin, which it wouldn't be as small as the place I saw Blaze. It would be about seven or eight times the size. But like I'd say it's a four or four or five hundred person capacity venue and it wasn't full, like it hadn't sold out. Um, oh, wow. So there might have been three three or four hundred people there. And there were rumours gone around that uh, after the, like the show was great, by the way. I think British Line are far better on uh, a live show than they are on an album. And at that point, they only had one album out, but they did play a couple of songs that ended up, ended up featuring on, um, ended the up burning. featuring on the second album. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. Excuse me. And uh, there had been rumors going around that Steve Harris was, um, hanging around outside gigs or inside and he, he would take a photo and speak to anybody who wanted to. And like, lo and behold, when the show finished, Straight away on the PA, it was like, if you would like to meet Steve Harris, please queue up over here. Um, please have any items you would like Steve to sign ready to go. Um, and oh, wow. Like, Steve went in, must have had a shower really quickly, came back out in a different set of clothes, and stood there patiently for about an hour and a half and met every single place or every single person in the place who wanted to meet him and talk to him and take a photo with him. And he let them sign. Uh, he signed multiple items for people. I didn't get any uh, autograph. I like, to me, yeah. autographs are, are meaningless. But I did get a photo with him, which I would treasure more than an autograph. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I spoke to him for about 90 seconds, and I couldn't tell you what I said to him because it was complete verbal diarrhea. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I just got completely starstruck, and I went, I love uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Maiden's my favorite band. I've been liking them ever since I was a kid. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, it, was, it was just brilliant. Like, And the, the guys I were with were Iron Maiden fans but they weren't quite as big Iron Maiden fans as I was uh, and yeah. Kevin wasn't there with me at that one um, 
and they were like they thought it was hilarious how giddy i was um in the queue like on the way up to meeting them and then afterwards i was like i was as giddy as a schoolgirl for about two hours afterwards oh man i bet that would be really really i mean it's steve harris <laughs> i mean exactly he, you ever you seen that little meme that there's a meme that i i've, I've posted it on twitter a long time ago but i saw someone else posted it recently and it's got it's got like a picture of this guy and he says i invented uh what does he say i invented facebook and this another guy i invented twitter and another guy i invented apple and then there's a picture of steve harris standing with his arms crossed i invented iron maiden you know it's just like <laughs> i didn't actually see that no but uh very good i'll have to find it and send it to you it's 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 but you know it's just like basically that trumps all of them you know <laughs> Without a doubt. Okay, so okay, now you have an interesting story about uh I believe it was on the Legacy of the Beast tour that you ran into a couple of uh podcasters at the Cart and Horses, is that correct? Yeah, I feel like if you've heard me tell this story like three or four times, I apologize because it has been on the feckin' check in and probably on Talking Maiden and probably when I had Nesbitt on and stuff, but but it is it is a pivotal moment in my Iron Maiden story, yeah. which is what this is, of course. So um I had listened to a few episodes of Talking Maiden, uh, not every episode or anything like that, uh, by about by August 2018, and I went to see Iron Maiden on the Legacy of the Beast tour, uh, and they were playing two shows, two consecutive shows in the O2 in London. Now, I was only going to the Saturday show, but they were also playing the Friday. Um, but for the Friday, me and uh, my wife, who not with her at the moment but like she's still my wife but she's my wife then as well <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so difficult when you're not divorced yeah to, i can understand to categorize your future ex-wife um yeah anyway that's who she is um and no um hard feelings or anything like that but it's just it's very difficult there's no term for it when you're in the middle of that sure um, anyway yeah. i went with my wife and some of my friends and some friends from sweden who came over and um we all went to stay in a hotel in London and we went over on the Friday morning. So we were there for the Friday, but we were also, sorry, we were seeing Iron Maiden on the Saturday, but we were also there for the Friday. So for Friday, we were like, let's just go. I, I, I had Googled the hotel closest to the Cart and Horses pub, which looked the nicest, um, basically, which wasn't a dump. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I found a hotel that was a seven minute walk from the Cart and Horses because my plan for the entire weekend was to stay drinking in the Cart and Horses, basically. That was my plan for the weekend. And that's what we did, essentially. Um, so anytime we weren't in or at the Iron Maiden show, we were in the Cart and Horses uh, from basically when they opened until when they closed or kicked us out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to soak in all that history. Like it was such a shrine. It was like like it was half pub, half museum. Like there were there were so many different things. They had like items donated from the band. Oh, they cool. had the stage where Iron Maiden had actually played on, still erected. Um, they had pictures of all the old lineups of Iron Maiden with the likes of Terry Ranks cool. and Dennis Wilcock and all those people. Um, yeah. And it was just like, a, it was a history shrine for Iron Maiden. And it was just great to be in the pub. And naturally, they played Iron Maiden for the entire weekend as well over the PA system. And there was an Iron Maiden tribute band called Made of Iron, a Swedish band, which okay. traveled over specifically for that weekend, which played boat nights uh, after the Iron Maiden show was finished in, in the O2 when we got back to the bar this band were playing and they played different set lists each night it was just an unbelievable weekend it was ridiculous it was like Iron Maiden Overload uh, for for the weekend that's but awesome then, but uh, on the Friday anyway I was sitting there with uh, Grace my wife and um, there was this group of lads who were singing along to Iron Maiden and it was like um, it was the Final Frontier album and they were singing along to probably the Talisman I'm going to guess but um, 
I was looking <laughs> yeah. over and I was going like, they they look like they're having a great time. And um, one of them was wearing a Talking Maiden t-shirt, which I thought was quite funny because um, that was like a podcast. But I had assumed like it's not it's not a type of podcast that there'd be a t-shirt of. Like it's not like the Joe Rogan experience or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, I was in the toilet and there was a guy standing to the left and a guy standing to the right. We were at the urinal and it turned out they were the two guys from this table that I'd been, you know, looking over at. Um, and one of them was, was who turned out to be Josh and he was wearing a Talking Maiden t-shirt and I turned around and was like, are you the two people who do the Iron Maiden podcast? They were like, yes. They were like, thank <laughs> we God somebody Maiden. finally asked us. <laughs> <laughs> so good advertising by Josh there that weekend. But um, so they were going to the show that night. So I ended up sitting with them for a, a couple of hours and we had a few beers, a few troopers, whatever. And um, they were going to the show that night. So they disappeared for a few hours while we stayed in the cart and horses. And by the time they came back and we were still there, like we'd all had a few drinks and um we just like watched the Iron Maiden tribute band, and if you if you look up the Cart and Horses Facebook page, I think their background photo is still uh, from one of those nights where Nesbitt is there clearly in the photo. For oh, cool! Interested, and he's wearing an Iron Maiden football jersey, so you can see a picture of Nesbitt. Sorry, Nesbitt, I know you like to keep some um, privacy, but you're there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the Cart and Horses Facebook page, uh, and I'm there him. as well. I, I'm in the very back. <laughs> you can see me in the very back corner of that photo. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, but. Uh, it, that, that was just a fantastic night and when like we basically closed down the bar like uh, it was me Nesbitt Josh my friend Kevin and a couple of others who were still up and we were singing um, I, I got everybody singing Blaze Bailey songs so I remember singing Judgment of Heaven and uh, various other Blaze Bailey Iron Maiden songs um, oh, and I just crazy. have great memories of that night I have some great photos of um, hanging around outside the bar after it closed and Josh is a bit worse for wear smoking a cigarette and uh, <laughs> we, were all, we were all a bit worse for wear but it was just a fantastic weekend and then the same night we did it again or sorry the following night we did the same again oh um, wow basically uh, so yeah it was great okay now you, you just mentioned that you had people singing Blaze songs so mm. you also told me that in 2018 you got to go see Blaze again was he in was he playing in Ireland when you saw him no, he was playing at uh, Sabaton Open Air. So Sabaton are a Swedish metal band who I'm a big fan of, and they have a festival in their hometown every oh, year okay. in Sweden, uh, in Fallen in Sweden. And, um, That's cool. I actually did, just did an episode about that with my friend Kevin. It's a, a Sabaton Open Air special, so we talk about uh, going to see that festival five years in a row, uh, although we only talked about the first year on episode one. but <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that's a, it's a great festival. You get a lot of power metal, so it depends on whether or not you're into that. Um, yeah. If you are, it's great. But they also get a lot of legacy acts, so like they've had Saxon and they've had like uh, Blaze Bailey, and they've had bands like, I don't know, do you know the band Accept? Yeah, yeah. So they had like Udo Dirk Schneider from Accept, like, uh, I've seen him twice there. Like one time he was playing only accept songs, then the other time he was playing only UDO songs, which is his his um, his, his band kind of or whatever so, solo band. Yeah, but yeah. um, but it's a great festival. But um, Blaze Bailey was playing one year, so um, we uh, we were obviously really looking forward to seeing Blaze, and we went yeah. down the front. I was down the very front and watched Blaze, and I have some photos like right up right up in front of his face, basically. But oh, cool. <laughs> Um, so he played a couple of Iron Maiden songs. He played the Angel and the Gambler, and he played, the, I think maybe the Clansman. I can't be certain now what it was, but um, he was also doing a free meet and greet as part of that. So um, we went and queued up for the free meet and greet, and um, got to say hello, got a photo, and got a signed photo of the band, which was really nice. Like uh, and completely, you know, unnecessary. <laughs> he didn't have to do that, like, but he did. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, they were all sitting in a little caravan, converted caravan, you know, like, a, you know, you know the type of thing I'm talking about. Like, and they were all sitting in a line. And I, so his band are like the guys from Absolva. I'm sure you probably know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was talking to one of the guys from Absolva and I was like, so you played um, Angel and the Gambler and your man pulls <laughs> me in for a whisper and he's like, yeah, I wish we didn't have to play it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I wish I could <laughs> yeah. hear any other Blaze song other than Angel and the Gambler. He's like, yeah, you and me both, buddy. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, they were all... They're all really nice guys. Well, um, let's see here. I've got a couple more questions here, and we'll wind it down real quick here. Um, because when I listen to you, um, when I listen, I listen to one of your, I listen to your podcast with your friend Kevin, and it sounds like you have quite a few friends that you've made through being an Iron Maiden fan. I mean, obviously, you mentioned uh, Josh and Nesbitt too, but how many friends would you say you've actually made because of your connection with Maiden? Okay, that's a very good question. Um, so there are a couple of friends of Kevin's girlfriend, uh, Jonas and Pee And like, if it weren't for Iron Maiden, I don't think I would know those guys really. Like, we all ended up going to the Sabaton Open Air Festival, but, but we've been to several Iron Maiden gigs together. And that's the glue that holds the bond together. Like, it, Sabaton is one band, but like, Iron Maiden is the other band. And we, well, we all love Sabaton. We all love Iron Maiden a lot more. And, um, that they're definitely two people, I'd say. Uh, then I met a guy in, in the airport in Gothenburg on the way back from Iron Maiden. His name is Arkady, uh-huh. and he's from uh, Estonia, but he actually lives in Dublin. And I met him in the airport in Gothenburg about four and a half years ago, and I'm still in touch with him to this day, and I see him <laughs> at a lot of gigs. He basically goes to every metal gig in Dublin or hard rock gig. You can't miss him. That's uh, crazy. And he's like an Iron, Iron Maiden fan club member up the front of every show. Anytime they've released a live DVD or video in the last few years, he's there. You can see him. Um, <laughs> but uh, wow. like, I still talk to him all the time. Obviously, there's Nesbitt and Josh. And then like they had a guy with them, Andrew, as well. Andrew DeBroy. Uh, I still talk to him. Um, that's probably it. I'm going to say about five or six. But then like if you, if, if you consider the likes of you yeah. and then Melissa from Metal Chat with Melissa... Uh, like you're you're close up to around eight or nine people who I know primarily through like an Iron Maiden, um, and yeah, like it's and and I always talk to people at shows. I I started doing it about fifteen years ago. It was like the early days tour, and yeah, I was with a group. I was with a group of people who weren't Iron Maiden fans. So I was with a guy from school and two guys from school and one of the guys' brothers, and they weren't really Iron Maiden fans, but they were going for the spectacle. It was an outdoor show sure. in, in summer in Dublin. Uh, so I branched off on my own and I, I started going around talking to people in the crowd. Um, and I, I not that I made any friends that day, but I realised how friendly and approachable and nice Iron Maiden fans actually are. And ever since then, like I, if I'm at a show or if I'm at something, I'll go and I'll try and talk to people. And um, yeah, it's like, it's it's a great place. Like a, a concert is actually a great place to get to meet people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, like not necessarily right during the middle of the show, but like before, after, um, whatever, or in the pub afterwards, if you're going to a pub afterwards as well, like to interact with people. So yeah, several people in my life, just from Iron Maiden, I'd say, yeah. It, it sounds like you've come a long way as far as um, you said that you didn't used to want to go to gigs by yourself, which, and now you yes. can go to a gig. Yeah. Even if you don't go by yourself, you can go and just talk to just random people, which, but it, it's like I always tell people when I talk to them on the podcast, I'll say, like there was a guy I talked to recently and I, he became a Maiden fan in the mid eighties, just like I did. And I told him, I said, so me and you have basically had something in common for 35 years. 
we've just never met. I said, it's just, I said, we're like long lost friends that have just never met, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, like, if you didn't like Iron Maiden, I would never have spoken to you. And you, you realize you can actually get along personally with somebody anyway, yeah. other than your mutual like of Iron Maiden. But like, you need, you need the, the ties that bind, as Bruce Springsteen would say. <laughs> like, like, I personally, like, I find I get along with Nesbitt really well anyway on a personal level, but, like, the Iron Maiden thing was the introduction. Yeah. And, like, if I didn't have that, I never would have met him. And it's it's such a shame because, like, I'm somebody who I, I may have mentioned at the start, I can't remember. I don't like any sport. I don't like football. Like, on my football, I mean soccer, which, you know. <laughs> yeah, if, no, if you mean. don't like, if you're, a, if you're a man in Ireland and you don't like soccer, um, that's like it's it's almost like a handicap socially so like i i've always had to find other ways of of bonding with people and yeah a lot yeah. of the time that's through music and oh yeah i'm sure it's the same for a lot of heavy metal fans who don't like sport and um but but i do find when i meet somebody and we have the mutual um like of iron maiden it doesn't matter what else we're interested in it, it opens the doors for like a conversation or a friendship or whatever and oh yeah uh, it's a it's a great way to connect with people I have met a lot of people, you know, doing this podcast that, and I was talking to a friend of mine about this last night, a guy that I work with that's not into Maiden at all. Um, I said, you know, it's interesting because I've met a lot of these people and you can tell that they're genuine, nice, good people, you know, just that you can have a conversation with, you can, they're, they're really, I've made a lot of friends with people and, um, this will be this will be uh like I said this will be out in a few weeks so I've got a Christmas episode coming out um like well, Christmas day and I asked a bunch of people that have been on my podcast I just said hey can you record some kind of a message for me say Merry Christmas Happy New Year if you want to have fun with it do whatever you want you know it doesn't have to be doesn't have to just be oh Merry Christmas from me you know I said just, yeah. you know have fun with it and I got like uh. 15 to 20 messages and I'm listening to all of them and just the thing, listen to whatever people say, just, and I'm thinking these are all friendly, nice people. And I just, and it's, it's like you said, you go to a show, we all have that in common and, and you have that common bond. And it's like, you can meet somebody and it's like, you've known each other forever. <laughs> it's really cool. It's really, it is. Yeah. And like the, the only hurdle you have to overcome is actually approaching somebody to talk to them. And that can be quite daunting, I find, but like, if you actually, if you can overcome that hurdle and you just go, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. You're there. That's it. If they, <laughs> That's all it see, means. See, if they have a shirt on, all they have to have is a maiden shirt on. Because if I go, yeah. if I go any, if I was at a grocery store today and, and someone was wearing, okay, well here, well, here, let me tell a little story then. I was at work and um, I work for this, you know, I drive a big truck and I go to the, do these big different facilities for my company. And one day I was at this facility and I'm waiting. I was waiting on something. So I went into the break room and I was, you know, getting a drink and something to eat. And I, w I went in there for that. But I walk in and I open the door and there's just some random guy sitting over there. I've never seen him before in my life. And he's wearing a matter of life and death T-shirt. And I'm like, wow. and I, I just looked and I said, oh, my God, you're wearing a matter of life and death T-shirt. He kind of looks at me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, you never, I was like, you might see somebody wear a number of the beast shirt or the trooper, yeah. but you don't see a matter yeah. of life and death anywhere. And, and you, you probably have heard how I feel about a matter of life and death. So I was like, 
Oh my yes. gosh. And I just, I sat there and talked to the guy for 25 minutes, never seen him before in my life. And, and, and if I'm in, a, yeah. if I go anywhere, I mean, you know, not, ev- not everybody is as talkative back, but a lot of people will just sit there. And because when I went to the legacy of the beast show this year, you know, there's 15, I think we might've talked about this when I was on your podcast, but you go there and there's 15 to 20,000 people there. And I'm looking around and yeah. I'm going, who are all these people? I don't know anybody that likes Iron Maiden, you know? Yeah, but, yeah uh, we did talk about this. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I saw somebody in a, in a matter of life and death t-shirt as well, I would 100% go up and start talking to them. And like, yes, I, I, I can relate like some of them aren't that talkative. And like, I, I'm in like a, a walking contradiction between an introvert and an extrovert. So yeah. even if somebody is quiet and doesn't respond too well, I can almost adapt to them as well and i i understand like you're not if you're not like i'm not expecting you to be gregarious just because you have an iron maiden t-shirt on like but um i find in general even if they are a bit introverted they're always nice and uh pleasant people to speak to oh yeah yeah it's 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 really really cool and i don't know if because i you kind of hear it that fans of other bands are just not quite the same because you go like say two of the biggest bands uh, that have ever you know existed fan fan wise is like, or let me name three bands that are very accessible and have probably a lot of Fairweather fans: Metallica, yeah. Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. ACDC. Yeah, I, I've yeah, I, I I've echoed these sentiments on my own show and and other other places as well. But yeah, go on. <laughs> you don't find many people that are Fairweather. You don't find anybody that just likes a couple of Iron Maiden songs. You don't find someone that's just going to go, oh man, I love Run to the Hills. And, uh, you know, but but you'll see, they don't play Iron Maiden on the radio. So people hear You Shook Me All Night Long and they hear Back in Black and they hear For Those About to Rock and they hear Welcome yeah. to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine and Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters. So yeah, oh, sure, all- if, if you're in Ireland, uh, Highway to Hell and Thunderstruck are played at every Irish wedding ever since the beginning of those songs. <laughs> really? Yes, by the wedding band, yeah. That is and like funny. You'd, you'd have 60, 70-year-old women up dancing to Highway to Hell and Thunderstruck, and they don't even know what it is. That's hilarious. But they know the song. Yeah. yeah. Like every wedding band is like, it's almost they're contracted to play Thunderstruck and Highway to Hell. That's and if they funny. can't play them, they're not getting the gig. But that's, you know, but, but it's just, you can find people, you can find anybody that likes a Guns N' Roses song. Oh, I love Patience. Oh, I yeah. love... Sweet child of mine. Oh, I love November rain. Yeah, and then you're like, but what do you think of coma? And they're like, huh? Yeah, yeah. What do you think <laughs> not, of double not, talk and jive? <laughs> not, not that I'm one of those dope fans who's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm trying you. to think of words in in place of swear words here. By the way, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> not, not that I'm one of those fans who's like, er, but if you don't know all the B sides, then you're not a real fan. But sure. um, but when you do start having a conversation with somebody and you see that they know a bit and they like a bit of stuff and you might throw in something, you're like, and what about this? And they're like, no, sorry, that's that's the limit of my knowledge. You're like, oh, all right, okay. Well, it's like with Metallica. I remember I I did not, I got into Metallica after Master of Puppets was out, but before the 590 ADP with Jason Newstead being in the band came out. And oh, yeah. I can remember that, you know, they were still an underground band. They were getting big, but they were underground. They were not huge at that point. And he- so so what you're saying, uh, Steve, is that you knew them before they were cool? <laughs> I guess so. I, I got on I mean, I got along very late because I did not want to be in I did I was into more of the KISS and 
Wasp and uh, Motley Crue type of music. So when 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 a buddy of mine came around with Master of Puppets, I was like, I'm not interested at all. I mean, I was very defiant of it. And then one day it just hit me. It hit me like a, a to quote a metal church song, it hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, it was <laughs> like I heard it and and it just all of a sudden drew me in and I got it. And but I remember, you know, when one came out and one was a little more accessible, but man, when that black album came out and it was like everybody, I mean, everybody likes yeah. Metallica. I mean, you, you, every, every Tom, Dick and Harry. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, you know, Guns N' Roses was very similar with Sweet Child of Mine. And, and I, I remember, now I'll tell you this. I remember hearing, I'm trying to think of which song I heard. I, I remember hearing Welcome to the Jungle on a local rock station before it had broke. And I can remember being in the car with my mom the first time I heard Sweet Child of Mine on like a major radio station, like a big one that everybody listened to. And I remember just freaking out going, oh my God, they're playing Guns N' Roses. I can't believe it. And it was like a couple months later, you know, they were all over the radio, you know, Paradise City and all that stuff. And, Mm. and they exploded and all that. But, but yeah, you don't, I guess, say a whole lot of that to just say you don't find the fairweather fans in the maiden in the maiden camp so i think when you're around people that that are true maiden fans they are authentic they are they really like the band they're not just wearing a t-shirt because it looks cool they're not just you know someone you know other than you have the uh the nostalgic you, there's a difference in fans though because you have the nostalgic fans that yeah like up to about seventh son and then you have the fans like you or i who like everything from the first album through Book of Souls. So um, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only real d- divider, I think. Yeah, and like, do you know what's funny is that um, I, like, I can be, uh, I was giving out earlier about the fans that went to Dance of Death, the tour, or like the Matter of Life and Death tour, mm-hmm. and who had their arms folded and were like, oh, I don't like all this new stuff. But like, I like I would never stand at a show with my arms folded. Sorry, but <laughs> but like I can be a bit like that with some people. So we were kind of talking about Alice Cooper and um, I think what did he have? He had an album out called Paranormal. Is that what his Paranormal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like what was the one before that? Welcome to My Nightmare with the Digit Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I didn't really listen to either of those albums. I must be honest. Like I listened to them once or twice each, but like not really. Like and I consider myself a huge Alice Cooper fan. But if I went yeah. to a show tomorrow and I hadn't looked up the set list so there's so much hypothetical stuff going on here but let's say yeah. <laughs> I went to a show tomorrow I hadn't looked up the set list and he played eight songs four from each of those albums I might be a bit disappointed as well so I, yeah, I like, yeah. well, what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is that like I'm not the perfect music fan either it's like there, there are artists who I listen to who I consider myself oh, a big sure. fan of where I don't really like the recent albums either so like I'm not this like ridiculously credible and brilliant music fan I do the same stuff as other people whom I'm giving out about <laughs> right yeah it's just yeah it, it just it's different it seems different with Iron Maiden because they've actually made great music through the last 20 years and like you compare it to a band like say Kiss who has Sonic Boom and Monster out over the last, uh, how many, 20 years. You know, those are the only two studio albums they put out. And there's some decent material on both of them. There's some actually good material on both of them, but Mm. yeah. Yeah, but it's it's not not fantastic. Right, right, right. So, uh, but I I remember um, when I went to the Legacy show, there was was three guys sitting in front of me and my daughter. And 
man, when they opened up with Aces High and uh, um, what was the second song? Where Eagles Dare. And, you know, when they were playing all the classics, man, these guys are up on their feet and they're yelling the words and they're, but when they played Sign of the Cross for the greater good of God and the Klansmen, they, they, yeah, sat, yeah, they yeah. sat down. I was like, uh, yeah. I, and I'm just, you know, I, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like it's kind of disappointing, isn't it? When you see that, you're like, how, but how, how can you like this? And you don't like that. You were like, ah. well, I saw the same thing when I went and saw Alice in Chains a year or two ago. It was, oh, yeah. you know, when they would play anything from the Lane Staley albums, man, I, I saw, I saw a lot of people that liked the new material as well, but I, I remember seeing a certain group of guys that when they started playing anything from the more the, the three most recent albums, which are yeah, what's your man William Duvall? Is that him? William Duvall, yeah, my person. And I, I'll here I'll give a hot opinion here. It's it's a uh, but it's not a hot opinion. It's I absolutely believe it. The three albums with William Duvall are as good as the three albums with Lane Staley. They are. Oh no, you didn't. Uncle yes, Steve. I did. I mean, I'm telling you. <laughs> l- listen well, to this. You want to hear a funny Alice Cooper story? Uh, you, may, you may have heard this on my podcast before, but I have told it. But So a bunch of years ago, I'm, I'm going to try to say this a little quieter because my wife is sitting downstairs. A bunch of years ago, my wife decided to do something nice for me. She said, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy Steve the new Alice Cooper CD. Uh, oh, yes. And uh, <laughs> so she, she came home with Black Gives Way to Blue, which was the new Alice in Chains CD, but she didn't know. So at that point, I was of the mindset of... If it doesn't have Lane Staley in the band, I'm not interested. And yeah. I went around and I, I had it. And I thought, well, I'll go ahead and listen to it. Why not? And I remember I I was blown away at how good those songs were. It's it's mm. Lane Staley was a good songwriter, but I have to believe that Jerry Cantrell is the genius in that band. Not to discredit right. anything Lane wrote, because mm. Lane was a great songwriter. He was a phenomenal vocalist. I mean. I don't think William Duvall is as good of a vocalist, but he's not a horrible vocalist either. He's a good vocalist. And the songwriting on those three albums is every bit as good. There's, I mean, there's songs on those albums that I personally, when I listen to Allison Chains, I rarely go back and listen to the Lane stuff. I, I listen to the new stuff more. I like it. Yeah. And maybe that's because of, um, you know, I I listened to those old albums so long back then, so many times yeah. back then that this yeah. is newer and fresher. But well, I I must say I I like I'm not a massive Alice in Chains fan. I I've listened to Dirt and Jar of Flies, um, but I have listened to The Devil Put Dinosaurs here quite yeah. a lot, and I think that's a fantastic album. It is it really is. good. And my favorite song is Choke. I think it's the last song on the album. That is just such oh, an yeah. unbelievable song. But it also is. the song "The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here." Um, yeah, really, really strong stuff. And uh, like, I would, I wouldn't be too qualified to compare, like you know, um, uh, William Duvall to Lane Staley. But I think "The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here" is just, in general, as a standalone album by any band, I think it's just an excellent album. Oh yeah. Well, if if you like that album, listen to the next one, "Rainy or Fog." That album is, I think it's better. I think each of the what's. What's really crazy about Alice in Chains is that with William Duvall, like the album, the first album was good. Black Gives Way to Blue was a really good album. The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here was even better, and Rainier Fog is even better than that one. So, wow. I, okay. I think it's a oh man, it's a brilliant album. I love it. I absolutely love it. But uh, okay, so I digress. But that's that's all to say that 
you know, you see these bands and they're when they would play the William Duvall. And I remember that's the ones I was preferring because every time I would see him grab his guitar, I was like, okay, they're about to play a new song, which is what I, I mean, I liked hearing it all. Like they played, um, them bones from dirt. You know, it starts off. Oh, with, yeah. It starts off with that. And I mean, it sounded great. I mean, he sounded really good with all that stuff, but. Do, do you know, I said this on my podcast recently, but um, a lot of, so, do you know Doom, the PC game, Doom? Did you ever play that? I never played it, no. Okay. So it was a big PC game in the 90s. Maybe it was a bit after your time, I'd say. But um, <laughs> they, the level music in Doom, like, so the programmers were quite influenced by rock and heavy metal. And like the very first level of the very first episode of Doom was based on uh, Master of Puppets by Metallica. And, uh, oh, yeah. One I heard the, you say One that. of the other level musics. Or musics, Jesus. Music. Sorry for saying. Sorry for saying that. Uh, one of the other level <laughs> theme tunes was uh, based on "Them Bones" by Alison Chains. Oh, which, cool! Uh, cool. I found really interesting years later. Um, ha- having heard the song, then I was like, "Oh yes, wow! I can't believe that." That's really cool. Okay, mm-hmm. so I got two questions left for you here. Um, mm-hmm. One question, and uh, you've probably already mentioned some of this anyway, but what are some of your other favorite bands besides Iron Maiden? Oh wow! Okay, um, okay. Like I'm gonna name some obvious ones first, and then I'll name some less obvious ones. So, okay. Judas Priest, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, Alice Cooper. Um, those are all bands that I could listen to again and again. Rainbow, I will say, but the Ronnie James Dio era okay. of Rainbow, Dio, uh, the band, um, Black Sabbath. Uh, Okay, so they're all really obvious ones. So they're like hard rock and heavy metal staples. Recently, I've gotten into some newer bands. And okay. I'd say my favorite of the newest crop of metal bands is Visigoth, who have two full albums out and an EP. Um, so they're like kind of sword and sorcery fantasy um, band. But I think they're absolutely fantastic. I've seen them twice live and their singer, Jake Rogers, is just an unbelievably powerful vocalist. Um, And for a band that, you know, has only been around since the 2010s, uh, they've just got, I don't know, they've just got such an aura, like they've got an authenticity about them and they just, they've blown me away, like like more so than any other recent metal band. Um, But let's, outside of metal, uh, as I said earlier, I love Oasis. I really like Morrissey. Uh, There was a period in my life where I was massively into Eminem and those early Eminem albums I still hold dear. Uh, I'm a massive Tom Waits fan. Um, I love Tom Waits. I think he's unbelievable. Such a diverse musician. Um, I went to see him in 2008 in Dublin in a tent in the Phoenix Park. And it was (laughs) just a a, a brilliant gig. Uh, I say a tent, like there were 3,000 people in it. Um, And beyond everyone else... Other than Iron Maiden, my, my most favorite musician is Neil Young. And um, like, again, Neil Young is such a diverse musician. He, he goes from folk to hard rock to like uh, traditional uh, American music to, um, I don't know, like electronic music in the 80s. Like, he's just done everything. And I love Neil. I think he's like the genuine article. I, I don't know if there's anybody more true to their art and their music and their muse than Neil Young to the point where he will like fire bands from album to album because he's just not feeling it anymore. It's never yeah. anything personal. It's it's always to follow the muse. And if you like Neil Young or you even like him a small bit, there's a great book out there uh, called Shaky uh, by Jimmy McDonough. And it's not an official 
biography, but it's uh, a biography where the author interviews Neil Young over a period of several decades. So he has oh, direct cool. contact with him. That's one of my favorite books of all time. Second to Mick Wall's Iron Maiden book, uh, Shaky is just a fantastic book. And it covers Neil Young from his birth to about the year 2001. I think. That's cool. Um, but that is, that is a fantastic book, just about the music business in general, just about music and musicians and, and art. Uh, I'd advise anyone to read that. But um, that's just off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, quick list there. Okay, I got, I've got. i come up with two more questions that, that I'm going to ask you now. Um, Neil Young, as far as Neil Young, how do you, how do you like the Crosby, Stills, Nash Young albums that he's on? <laughs> uh, Deja Vu is quite good. I like that. And uh, what else? What did they have the American Dream was one of them. Uh, American Dream was American Dream, the one where they got back together in the eighties. Was that yes? That one? Yeah, that was around, yeah. I believe, eighty eight. I think I only listened to it once or twice, to be perfectly honest, and I don't have an opinion on it. Um, Deja, like, were there more? Yeah, there's personally, a, I'm pulling them up right now. Actually, there's a okay. So what else? Deja Vu, American Dream. American Dream. Deja Vu is Deja Vu is great. I love that song. It has Helpless on it. Uh, oh, or sorry, yeah. I love that album. That's a great has album. Helpless. And then even the, even the songs that Neil isn't involved in, like Almost Cut My Hair, Teach Your Children. Um, yeah, that's a great. That's a great album. A, that's a that's a bloody great album. Like it's really good. They they did one other album called Looking Forward uh, in nineteen. I've never I've never listened to it. No, never listened to it. Sorry. I'm I'm uh, looking. I'm trying to. Look, I'm looking through the set the song list right now, and I know I've listened to it, but I don't remember it anything off of it right now but i really i really like american dream i think there's a lot of good stuff on american dream um some of the songs you know even like um you know the song american dream it's basically a a song that you know a neil young song about you know farmers losing their place and uh and things like that and it's just it's so unlike anything i would ever listen to because i'm yeah i'm well that, that's a that's a topic close to his heart. Like obviously he was involved in Farm Aid. I don't know if he still is, but like he he was involved in Farm Aid for decades, which was like oh yeah, yeah, a- aiding Farm. And then even his own his own solo album Monsanto years, like he he completely despises the uh, corporation Monsanto because they use genetically genetic genetically modified crops and all that stuff. Like he's like so he's so close to the yeah. agricultural industry. Like it's it's a, such a huge passion point for him. Yeah. Last question for you, sir. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or if they want to listen to your podcast? I think you already said that a little bit at the beginning, but other than that, where can people find you and reach out to you? Okay, so if you want to speak to me, it's at Feckin' Metal on Twitter, and it's uh, still on the, at the moment on, on Facebook, it's at Feckin' Checkin', because that's the parent podcast of our podcasts. But if you'd like to speak to me specifically about the Feckin' Metal podcast, it's feckin'metal at gmail.com if you want to email me. So, at Feckin' Metal on Twitter, feckin'metal at gmail.com on email, and it's at Feckin' Checkin' on Facebook. You have a lot of, uh, a lot of places to be reached. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, no more than anyone else, really. Yeah. But it's just there's a bit of a confusion there because it's a, a different handle in different places. Yeah, you're a busy guy. You got a lot of podcasts. That's cool, though, man. It's 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 a it's it's a, a way to express yourself. And I know I like doing it, and I'm, and listening to you, I know you like doing it too. So, um, 
Okay. So I've got to tell you, uh, I know I've had you on the phone for a really long time at this point, and I wanted to just tell you, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on here to talk and, uh, about our love of Iron Maiden and, and our everything else. <laughs> it was my pleasure, Steve, and thanks for having me. Uh, I could talk about Iron Maiden all day, and like I feel like in some places we only scratched the surface and uh, we moved on, which oh, is yeah. good. Yeah. It's good for a podcast, but I feel like I could I could do a documentary, an audio documentary on Iron Maiden. Yeah. Uh, and still and still not have said enough. But um it was my absolute pleasure to be on your podcast. I've listened to many, many of your episodes and I really enjoy it. And uh, uh it's always enjoyable to speak to somebody about Iron Maiden, a fellow Iron Maiden fan. And in general you're just a very nice guy, so it's nice to talk to you. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate the compliment and uh we'll have to do it again sometime. Definitely. Definitely. Anytime. All right, take care. Okay, see you later. All right, bye. All right, well, there you have it. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode, listening to me and my Irish buddy, Fergal, talking about Iron Maiden. And also, if you think that people would want to hear your story, or a matter of fact, even if you don't think people would want to hear your story, I would like to talk to you and hear your story, and I promise you that other people would like to hear it too, so reach out to me, send me an email. Email address for the podcast is ironmaidenpodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Send me an email with your Iron Maiden story. Tell me tell me how you got into Iron Maiden. Tell me all the stories that you can think of that go along with it through the years, people you've met, places you've been, anything that goes with it. Send that all to me and let's, uh, let's, let's plan to talk. Let's... Uh, I'll read your story. I'll read it on the podcast, but it'd be much more fun to talk. So if you would like to do that, send me an email again, ironmaidenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will go from there. Now, on behalf of myself, from Fergal, from Iron Maiden, from Eddie, and from the boys... Things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse When you're chewing on life's gristle That grumble, give a whistle And this'll help things turn out for the best And always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always look on the bright side of life 
final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your seat Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance and out So always look on the bright side